Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Oh, we can do better than that. You see that thing outside called the sun? We can do better than that. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. I'm telling y'all better show him some praise. We might not get this thing again for a while. Shoot. I was telling the worship team in our prayer time, I said, since we moved to Kansas, my kids always ask about the moon, but they don't really ask about the sun. And and I'm like, because they don't see it as much. And so um, you got you to gotta give some praise where praise is due. I mean, man, I was missing a whole verse of Genesis around here. So, man. All right. If, you, uh, if this is your first time visiting, I want to let you know that um, today, as we uh, go through the sermon, uh, you'll see a page number um, on the screen. And that page number will correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seats. If you don't have a Bible um, of your own, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one as our gift to you. Um, if you have a friend or a neighbor or a family member who doesn't have a Bible, then please take that one and give it as a gift from the both of us. If it would be easier for you and more comfortable for you to read from a, a Spanish Bible, then let us know. Our ushers will be able to get you one of those uh, so that you can follow along. We want to make sure that everyone could be in the Word with us this morning. And so I want to jump into this thing because I am excited about the Word of God and, and as we continue through this Living Hope series. This is our sixth week in this series, and so we're powering through um, this series, and then um, we're, we're toward the end of First Peter, and, and then we're going to launch into Second Peter coming up here. And then, so as we do this, if you've missed any of the previous messages, this is where technology is your friend, because you can go out and capture those on our uh, app, FBC Mobile, and go to the messages, and then the High Crest campus, and get those or you can go to uh, our website, fellowshiphighcrest.com, and you can catch up on where we're at. And so this week, we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, and you'll find that on page 740 of your Blue Bibles. And I'm going to get in there. Here's what it says. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all around the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. This is God's word. All right. So um, if you've been with us throughout this month, you know that I have weaved um, African-American history into each of the messages, and this wouldn't be a Black History Month without something on MLK, so today you get it. So, I mean, it's just like being in Sunday school. It's, it's pretty safe to answer Jesus to every question that the teacher answers, and so here we are. 
One of the most pivotal moments in the civil rights movement came on March 7th, 1965. On this day, about 600 people started a planned march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. During the demonstration, state troopers met the demonstrators at the edge of town at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. As cameras were rolling, what, what is now referred to as Bloody Sunday took place. As pictures of image bearers being beaten by law enforcement officers streamed across the television, people were mortified. The image couldn't be taken back. The sure horror of the images caused some who were once apathetic to the civil rights movement to be swayed into action. But it almost didn't happen. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the leader of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. The SCLC, as is also known, started the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, in hopes that it would serve as the youth wing for the SCLC. I mean, you had kids as young as 12 years old and younger that got involved in the movement and were put in jail for being a part of the civil rights movement as a part of SNCC. SNCC's influence um, grew, and their, and their just efforts a part of the civil rights movement grew as they helped organize and lead what are known as the Freedom Rides. The Freedom Rides were designed to test a 1960 Supreme Court ruling that declared segregation in interstate travel facilities as unconstitutional. SNCC began working in Selma in 1962 to fight against voter discrimination and intimidation. In Selma, two-thirds of the population was African-American, but only 2% of them were registered voters. So in 1963, the 23-year-old John Lewis, who was the leader of SNCC at the time, was chosen to be one of the speakers at the historic March on Washington. When the 34-year-old King, who was the national leader of the civil rights movement, focused his sights on Selma in 1965, the two organizations clashed. That clash almost derailed the movement. That clash revolved around some of the young SNCC leaders um, openly challenging the group's previous commitment to nonviolent tactics and his willingness to allow participants uh, or the participation of white activists to be a part of the movement. Others thought that King was flying in to take credit for the ground that they had already laid and all the work they had already done. Lewis, who considered King his hero, welcomed him in to Selma. Other young activists opposed the march. John Lewis went on to join King in the SCLC and became a renowned civil rights leader, the only still living speaker from the March on Washington. And Stokely Carmichael became the new leader of SNCC, as it saw its influence fade. SNCC died and Carmichael launched what is now known as the Black Panther Party. Fellowship High Christ, God is doing great things in and amongst and through us. But we stand in danger. We stand in danger of never seeing it reach its potential. We, the younger campus, stand in danger of repeating the mistakes of SNCC. Like the young leaders of SNCC, we have so much potential, but the same thing that derailed them could derail us. What is that thing? Pride. Pride can kill a movement almost faster than anything else. 
Humility, on the other hand, is the glue that holds movements together and the fuel that allows legacies to live on way beyond its founders. The question is, how does a group of individuals demonstrate humility while pursuing their God-given vision in their God-given shapes while enduring their God-allowed trials and suffering? Peter explores this very topic in our focal passage this morning. Peter understood that when living as an elect exile, things will get tense, and that tension causes many things such as anxiety and worry and isolation and moral failure and pride to all flourish. If this group was going to be a reflection of God's glory, then they would have to fight against all these things in the midst of their suffering. And so let's examine our passage this morning to see why humility accepts suffering as God's gift for his glory and for our good. When living amongst the suffering, you will suffer. It will be uncomfortable. When we get to the beginning of our focal passage, we find that it begins with so, which means that we should read up. Right. If you've been following with us, we said if you see a therefore or a soul or something of that nature at the beginning of a passage of scripture that you're reading, then that means that you need to read up to get context as to what the author is saying. When we go up, we find that our focal passage is speaking to two groups. It is speaking to those in charge of the group of exiles and those giving the charge to follow as a part of the group of exiles. And in verses 6 through 9, Peter uh, tells both groups that humility is the way through suffering. In verses 1 through 4 of this chapter, he gives the charge to leaders. And here's the charge. I want to I read verses 1 through 4. Then I want to talk about the charge he gives the readers in verses 1 through 4. And we're going to go to that point about how humility is the way through suffering. This is what he says in verses one through four. He says, and now a word to you who are elders in the church. I, too, am a leader and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. Now, before I I, I walk through this, I want to stop here for a second to say something. Some of you heard that I'm about to speak about what it looks like to lead with humility. You might think that it has nothing to do with you. But I want to challenge all of you with something. If you are a follower of Christ, then God has called you to lead in some sphere of life in which you live. Some of us lead on our jobs. Some of us lead um, at home with our spouses and with our kids as a parent. Some of us lead on our teams and in the classroom and others lead on our blocks. If you are a follower of Christ, there is somewhere that he is calling you to lead. With that being said, let's look at what Peter had to say. There is the charges he gives to those who are in leadership. The first one is to dance with the one you brought to the dance. Peter says, care for the flock that you have. 
Don't be so ambitious for the next thing, the extraordinary thing, that you forget to recognize the beauty of the group that God has entrusted to you. I was getting some leadership coaching this week, and, 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 and my, my coach told me that, Jonathan, as you become a healthier leader, you will have concentric circles of disappointment. You have to choose who you're going to disappoint. And it shouldn't always be your wife and kids. If I neglect my family, then what kind of leader am I? How often have, have you missed opportunities to be a better servant in the place where you are because you are so focused on the next step? The fastest way to your next promotion is by being great in the place where God has already planted you. The next one is, he says, see serving as an honor more than a duty. Peter says, serve the people that God has allowed you to lead willingly, not grudgingly. When it comes to your spouse, your job, your kids, your role in ministry, do you use the words have to or get to more? How do you think about this? Do you have to go serve this Sunday or do you get to serve this Sunday? Do you have to spend time preparing to preach, Jonathan, or do you get to spend time preparing to preach? Do you have to take care of the kids while your wife is sick or do you get to take care of the kids while your wife is sick? Yeah. The next thing he says, inspire more than you direct. Peter says, don't lord your authority over those you serve. Yes, being a leader means holding people accountable. But when you look at your leadership style, he says that you should do more inspiring than you do um, penalizing. Are you inspiring people to walk with you on your journey with Christ? Or are you giving them marching, marching orders to follow? And then he says, be a show off. Peter said, be a good example. Peter said, wait, hey, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Let me say that one more time. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. In the areas where you lead, think about this. Peter said, whatever it is you want them to be, make sure that you model it. Are you modeling what you want those who follow you to reproduce? Are you modeling what you want them to look like? In verse 5, he gives a charge to those who are called to followership. I made up a word. You won't find it in the dictionary. But it it, it went with leadership, so that's why I put it out there like that. So, just flow with me. Just in the same way that I prefaced the leadership part, let me start here. I know some of you are going to hear this, and you lead in a lot of different places. Maybe you're a male who owns your own business, And so you lead in a lot of different arenas. Let me tell you this. I don't care how many titles you hold or how many businesses you run. If you are a follower of Christ, everyone who is a follower of Christ is called to be able to submit to the authority of the leadership of somebody else in their lives. 
all of us have been called to also follow. And this is the charge that that Peter gives to followers in verse five. He says this. He says, be the type of follower that you will want on your team if you were leading. I've seen this play out in ministry. If you're always the condescending one, if you're always the one to rebuttal, man, you better prepare for it when you become a leader. Because that's what you're going to get on your team. Because that is what you have modeled to your team to be around you. Part of that comes with us being willing to follow, being willing to run the play called before we ask for an option or calling a new play. Not because of the earthly person that you are following, but because the holy God that you've pledged your life to. Now, all of this sounds good and well, but, but how do leaders and followers do this as they're dealing with the tensions of everyday life and still trying to get things done in a world that's not necessarily built for their advantage? How do they do that? The key is humility, but how does humility and leadership and followership look in the midst of all these things that are going on? Well, let's walk through verses 6 through 9 as Peter lays this out. The first one is, when I worry. Peter uses the phrase, give all your worries and concerns to God. That phrase that Peter uses right there means to make God responsible for whatever is causing you anxiety, concern, or worry. It says, make God responsible for it. Lighten your load. Put it all on him. Let him carry it for you. One of the things I um, love that Rick Warren said, he says that the problem with a living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar. And we do that with stuff, right? We, we, we say, well, we're going to trust God totally with this thing. We're going to give this all to God, and then we take it right back from him. And one minute we trust in God, and the next minute we anxious and we overwhelmed by it. How does that look as a, as a leader? When the tensions of life, the tensions of leading imperfect people, when the tensions of a lack of resources happen, because if you're a leader, you need to understand that you're going to always have a lack of resources and you're going to always have imperfect people on your team. When all those things rear their ugly heads, we are to turn and trust the Lord with that tension. Now, as a follower, when times are tight, when every decision seems to affect me in some kind of way, when it seems impossible for me to see how the next step doesn't cause me to have to give more, And because I'm not leading, I don't know all the details, I turn and trust God with that tension. The next one is when I'm self-dependent. At the beginning of verse 8, it says, stay alert. Stay alert for what? Your pride. In the midst of suffering, your pride will make you think that you are the only one that you can trust. How does humility look in this situation as a leader when your decisions are constantly being questioned by those that you lead and and while you're doing your best to navigate all the obstacles that you encounter each day? Pride tells you to isolate and trust only yourself. Humility allows you to process issues with those that you love and have been given charge to care for with grace. In the movie Selma, it shows about this relationship between MLK and John Lewis, and it shows all the time that MLK took to process these questions that John Lewis had about the decisions that King and the SCLC leadership was making around the movement. Those times meant the world to John Lewis, and it it ultimately changed the trajectory of his life and his leadership. How does it look as a follower? 
Well, each week I get to spend several hours deepening my relationship with Joe. If, if, if you're new here and you don't know who Joe is, Joe Hitchman is, is our lead pastor for uh, Fellowship Bible Church. And so I get to spend several hours deepening my relationship with Joe. And I remember coming here and having a lot of questions as to as to why and what and how. And, 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 and Joe has been a model for giving me a safe place to process those questions with grace. Our relationship has deepened and I'm committed to following him because I'm convinced that he's following Christ. Fellowship High Christ, we might not understand all the decisions being made by the elders and deacons of our church, but but we should be able to trust their heart for Christ. And therefore, we should be able to process the questions that we have with them with grace. Are you processing with grace when it comes to your spouse, your kids, your job, your neighbors? What about on social media? Are you processing with grace? Here's, here's where it gets real. Um, we're, we're running into all kind of issues with child care and different things of that nature. And, and we're just in this period where, where things seem to be con- consistently just happening. And um, I was working on my sermon from home because the week ran into the week. And... Uh, and so I was working on my sermon at home, and Trisha was trying to ask me something about something that was going on, and I just kind of gave her this look like, don't you see what I'm doing is important? Like, I'm working on a sermon. And then I realized I was writing a sermon about humility. <laughs> and so I had to get up and go apologize and eat a whole bunch of humble pie. Man, I tell you what, it gets baked on a daily basis around my house. And so, um, you smell that tasty goodness? No, that's good. Shake and bake. And so, um, so, yeah, I had to go apologize and say, you know what? That was not the right response. That was not being empathetic. That was not acting in humility. Your concerns are valid. And I want to hear more about what you're feeling right now. I wish I could tell you I do that all the time and recognize when I've done that. It was a one, one good time, so I had to bring it out. <laughs> the next one is when I'm tempted. Peter says that, that the enemy is looking for an opportunity uh, to take advantage of. As both a leader and a follower, the enemy will look for halt opportunities. What are halt opportunities? They're opportunities when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. The enemy will look for opportunities in the midst of your suffering where your defenses are already weakened to sow seeds of distrust and discord and doubt and disharmony. He will use these opportunities to sow self-justification for unhealthy processing, gossip, moral failure, binging, etc. The the SNCC students had been in Selma for two years before MLK even turned his attention towards Selma. You know, and before all the fanfare that came with him, They were tired. They were also angry at the lack of progress that had been made. They felt lonely because of the lack of attention that was shown before MLK got there. And they were primed to have their minds and thoughts clouded by the pride they had against their brothers and sisters in SCLC. Also against their white brothers and sisters who wanted to help them as a part of their cause. Watch out for your pride meter when you find yourself in the halt zone. Watch out for your pride meter when you find yourself hungry or angry or lonely or tired. 
And the last one is when I'm feeling alone. Peter says that that there are other believers all around the world experiencing the same things that you are. So as a leader, I need to remember what it was like to be in fellowship and all the thoughts that ran through my head when I didn't have all the details because I wasn't the one in charge. I need to have enough empathy and vulnerability to share my experiences with those that I'm leading to help them understand and know that the thoughts that they have and the feelings they have are not unnatural. That's even with our kids. When your kids ask why or they don't understand something, instead of being mad and saying, because I told you so. Are you taking time to process with them? With grace. And lean into those conversations. As a follower, I need to make sure that I don't paint myself as the martyr. Building myself up to be the sacrifice puts me in the place of Christ and it makes it really hard for me to love others genuinely within gospel community. Because I will see myself as the one carrying the real load. I'm the one that's doing the real work, the real load. And so, therefore, I'll look at everybody else in a different way. When things get tough, do you lean into community or do you withdraw from it? When things get tough, do you tell yourself stories of how much harder you have it than everyone else? Or, or do you recognize that your brothers and sisters are also enduring trials and sufferings of their own? Humility is not only a way through suffering, but it's also the way to the suffering. What do I mean by that? I mean that, that when those who are in Christ act in humility towards one another, while in the midst of suffering and trials, it becomes a winsome apologetic. Okay, let me break down that phrase a little bit. Um, it becomes an attractive quality to the onlooking world. So let's put it all together. When those who are in Christ, both leaders and followers, do life in a humble fashion, especially in the midst of suffering, the onlooking world looks at that and says that they, why are they so different? I want some of that. Look at what Peter says in verses 10 through 11. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, so that after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. As Peter penned these words, I can imagine him thinking about um, when he was in that courtyard, when Jesus was being tried unjustly. I can imagine him seeing Jesus being beaten and spit on. I can imagine him sitting there thinking, I've seen Jesus turn, what, water into wine. I've seen him walk on water. I've seen him turn two fishes and five loaves into a meal for 5,000. Why is he letting these jokers hem him up like this? I don't agree with these tactics. Peter saw Jesus suffering and thought to himself that this is not how I want to go out. Peter's pride would not allow him to see himself suffering like Christ. So he denied Christ, and as Peter denied knowing him for the third time, Christ caught eyes with him. Peter was depressed and and he was low. He suffered for a while, but when Peter was at his lowest, what did Christ do? And this is this is important, church. I need you to be with me on this. What did Christ do? How did Christ respond when he was betrayed? When somebody he that was on his team failed him? John 21 tells us that story. The first one is we see that Jesus restored him. What did Jesus do first? He threw him a fish fry. Well, I tell you what, that fish fry make you feel better. He let Peter know that his momentary failure 
didn't mean that he would be a failure for a lifetime. When your spouse, when your teammate, when your kids fail you, in that moment, do you, do you restore them and, and make sure that they know that their momentary failure doesn't mean that they're going to fail for the rest of their lives? The next thing he did is Jesus confirmed them. Jesus affirms Peter's love for him. Jesus let Peter know that he recognized Peter's love for him in spite of Peter failing him. When people fail you, do you affirm, do you know, like, just because they fail you doesn't mean that they don't love you? They don't mean that they don't care for you because they acted in pride in that one moment or said something they shouldn't have said. That they don't mean that they hate you. Next thing he did is he strengthened them. Jesus tells Peter that while he lacked the courage to suffer in the courtyard that day, that one day he will be bold enough to literally be hung and nailed to a cross for him. And then lastly, he established him. Jesus sends Peter out to go and do what has been done for him. He sends him out to go and make disciples of others, leading them with humility, restoring them when they acted out of pride, confirming them when they have doubts of their calling and their relationship with God and with others in the body due to past failures, speaking into their lives in a way that helps them see what God has shown you about them because they can't see it in themselves at the moment because of a past failure and, and, and due to the sufferings that they're enduring at the time and then sending them out to repeat the process with somebody else. He sends us out to do the same thing. We, like Peter, have been given charge to show the same humility that has been shown to us by God to others. Are we acting with the same humility towards those in our lives that God has acted with when it comes to us? Do we give them the same grace that God gives us? Do we restore them in the way that God restores us? Do we confirm their love for us in the way that God has confirmed his love for us? Do we establish them and strengthen them in the way that he has done that for us? When John Lewis stood at the crossroads in the midst of suffering, he chose humility over pride. And some of the other SNCC leaders chose pride. The Black Panther Party has a hotly contested legacy where many have trouble seeing all the good that they did for those in need. And they did a lot of good for people in need. But they have trouble seeing it because a lot of it was steeped in pride. While very few question the legacy of John Lewis, who continues to serve today. Fellowship High Crest, we have a choice. We can live a life of humility and see God's plan for and through us flourish, or we can let pride cause whatever influence that we're building now to fade. Our community will be looking at not only how we treat one another with humility as we face difficult obstacles, but also how we speak about and treat our brothers and sisters over at the U.S. campus as we face difficult obstacles. As we continue to grow in our relationship with the High Crest community and with the Eurus campus, humility will be our way through suffering and our way to the suffering. Humility in the face of suffering is not something that comes natural. We need a supernatural power in order to practice it on a consistent basis. We get that gift when we get the indwelling Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit when we do what we call stepping across the line of faith. 
We step across the line of faith when we say we realize that sometimes we do operate out of pride and that we deserve to be punished for those times where we act out of pride in our lives. But because of God's love for us, he sent his son as a show of grace, as the ultimate show of humility. The incorruptible died for the corrupted. The sinless died to restore the sinful. And the king of all kings would humble himself to death on a cross so that we could have a relationship with the God of the universe. If you've never made that commitment, then I want to give you that opportunity today. In a moment, I'm going to pray, no special words, no special order words, just a prayer of thanksgiving, and invite you to make that commitment today. Now, if you're here and, and you have not gone public with acknowledging that humility is the way, that humility is God's way, then you can do that today through water baptism. If you don't have clothes, we have clothes. Someone will meet you at the closet after our pray and as, as our worship team leads us in singing. We have towels. We can make that happen today. Say yes today. Let's pray. Father, it's, um, it's often hard to acknowledge our need for you. That we don't have it all figured out. That we can't do it, that we can't fix it. That we don't always act or speak in the way that we should. But we're so thankful that you sent your son to die for us, that his blood would cover all of our prideful acts. And through his humility that we would be able to have a relationship with you. Father, as we go forward, create a humble spirit within us. Make us a people who display your heart for the world. Make us uh, a people who acknowledge our need for you. When our brothers and sisters cause us hurt, allow us to receive them with humility and grace. And let us do the same for those outside the body as a show of what you did through your son when we were far away from you, when we were separated from you because of our sins. If there's anybody in this place, Father, that that hears this message and know that they need to go have some conversations of where they have mishandled a relationship out of pride rather than humility. Father, have your Holy Spirit move. Have your Holy Spirit shove them out of their comfort zones and cause them to go have those conversations, to lean in deeply into those relationships so that your gospel-centered restoration could take place. Father, restore us where we feel low. Confirm us where we have begun to wonder. Strengthen us where we feel weak. 
and establish our path for your good, for your glory, and your honor. We pray these things, Father. In your dog son Jesus' name, amen.